You're listening to Tabletop and Beyond with your host, Justin. But before we get started, how was your geek week? And co-hosts, Dan and Jason. You have to be willing to let the dice help you tell the story. Okay, look, this year, I'm going to stop mispronouncing words. Join us as we cover board games to war games and beyond. And welcome back to Tabletop and Beyond. I am your host, Justin, and I'm joined by my two co-hosts, Dan and Jason. Hey, everybody. Dan's here Mute button. Mute button. Found the mute button. (laughs) And welcome back, Dan. (laughs) Thank you. Today, go ahead. If I had a nickel for every time I've heard, I was on mute while I was talking over the last two years. Yeah. We'd be rich. We'd be rich. Yeah. Uh, one thing that uh, we are excited about today is that we are j- joined by Nathan Wall, game board designer of Free Radicals. Nathan, welcome to our show today. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, we reached out to you a couple weeks ago. Oh, man, it must have been even maybe a month ago about you coming on because I think that when I saw, when, when I invited you on the show, you had just received your physical copy of your game. Yes, yep, I got it. Yeah, I, I got a pre-release copy in the mail, and I was very excited about that. <laughs> I bet you were. Uh, that's a, That was probably, you know, in your hands, the culmination of a lot of hard work, you know, <laughs> and blood, sweat, and tears that went into uh, getting that going. So uh, congratulations on that. We're going to talk uh, to you about that today, uh, dive into the game, into you as a game designer, and, uh, you know, all of that good stuff. But uh, before we get started... Uh, Jason, how was your Geek Week? Fun Geek Week, man. Uh, I broke into a new game with the little kids. It's called Zombies Kids Evolution. Oh, okay. It's it's a fun little board game. It's about 25 bucks on uh, Amazon. But uh, it's one of those progressive games. I'm always uh, hesitant on progressive games because I don't like to manipulate the actual components to change the way that they could play. But this one, it's only 25 bucks. It's a little box game you get kind of a sticker book and a progression chart and every time you play the game you can put a sticker on a you know over a little dot on the progression chart. Oh. And after so many games whether you win or lose, you get to these little points that say open envelope number 1. And so you reach in the box and you pull out envelope number 1 and it has special things in it that tweak the game as you play like maybe there's a new character or there's a uh, there's a new power that one of the existing characters has. Um, so it's, it, and it's so simple. It, like my six year old plays it with me. Yeah. And, uh, so she's, I mean, the gameplay itself is super simple. Like it's basically just a kind of square board and you're just rolling a dice, spawning a zombie, walking to the zombie and killing it. Like there's no real like combat mechanics or anything. It's just where does the little zombie pop up next and where are you going to go to try to get rid of the zombies? But, uh, so it it's, sounds like it's really fun. It sounds like a little bit like, um, they took some elements of Gloomhaven, you know, where you put the stickers on the thing and, like, you just kind of go through and then you open up the next envelope. And, I mean, like, 
I'm sure that Gloomhaven isn't the first one to do those kinds of yeah, things. Yeah, I, I, I snicker yeah. when you say yeah. they took elements from Gloomhaven. <laughs> I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's not at all what the designers of this game did. But <laughs> those but, are so, those are elements that I have uh, recently played with in Gloomhaven. Right. So you know, right. That's what was coming. Anyone to. who's played Gloomhaven is familiar <laughs> with that kind of stuff. But yeah, yeah this game uh, and it's fun. You know, if, uh, I think there's enough progression. There's like eight envelopes in the game and. And stuff, and there's little missions you can do so that if, like, if you complete the game with, uh, you know, three zombies in the outskirts, then you complete a mission and you get a trophy, which helps you progress faster. Oh, nice. Or, okay. you know, but it, it's also simple stuff to just help your family play, like uh, play with three players, uh, win a game with four players. Oh, uh, there's one that says, play a game with someone you've never played before. Um, you know, there's huh. even a part on the back that says, write the names of players that you've played with. So it's definitely a family-friendly, like, let's sit around the table and, like, spend some quality time together game. Yeah. Uh, so uh, really fun. If you have teenagers, uh, they're probably not going to play this game at all. It's just the, there are no mechanics to the game, right? It's I would say it's definitely a step up from Candyland, but there's not really much uh, beyond just, you know, rolling the dice and doing what the dice kind of tell you to do. Yeah. Uh, but when it, it does get a little more complicated when zombies start to overrun the board, then you kind of have to stop your six-year-old and be like, no, you don't want to go into that room, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but maybe, maybe go into this room instead. <laughs> but uh, but uh, anyway, so that was one thing I did, uh, which was fun. Another thing is um, I, uh, uh, I finally broke into my Alien Frontiers game. This game is like a 2017 game. Uh, uh, game and uh, I said you know what I'm going to break into it um, I did I did a little unboxing video we'll post that on the YouTube soon it's not like it's going to be the first unboxing video with the game coming out in 2017 but I took it from a perspective of I know that this is supposed to be a one hour 4X game right now I don't know about you guys but when I've played 4X games I've never had, had one last shorter than like two and a half hours I mean maybe it's like Monopoly where you can play it in an hour right? don't don't even don't, right, don't Jason? even start with Monopoly <laughs> no uh, I gotta recover from that uh, but anyway so no, no so they're they're claiming one hour 4X uh, game on the game is only twenty dollars so I'm like, okay, I got to figure out what this is all about. So I broke it open, uh, did a little unboxing clip. I'll post it up there so people can kind of follow my journey of seeing how how well this uh, this game really lives up to the one hour 4x experience. Was it? If it does, it's going to be cool. Was if, it twenty but hour? I'm critical. Sorry, was it uh, twenty dollars when it first retailed? No, it was about forty five. Ooh. But it's been twenty dollars. I think I've seen it as low as seventeen dollars at uh, Gen Con, like on the shelves. Does that sound so, like a fire sale to you? I don't know, man, because it's. Uh, I mean, unless a fire sale can last for three years, <laughs> right? You know, uh, many so, people really aren't buying it. I don't know. Well, so here's what's interesting. I got my copy at Second and Charles. Okay. And so it's not like it's been on the shelf at Second and Charles for three years. It's been on the shelf at Second and Charles for like you know a month for for those who don't know second and charles it's kind of like a um it's kind of like a it's kind of like a pawn what a shop bookstore or... it's yeah. a bookstore and a pawn shop all in one yeah they got yeah. new stuff but then they have like used stuff that you can use video know. games yeah. used music you yeah. know in, musical instruments and uh, it's it's an interesting place did you yeah. can did... find some weird stuff for sure and but this, they, this they... was new in the box right 
New in the box, yeah. yeah. So about a about probably about two and a half years, maybe three, three or more years ago, Second and Charles started at least the one local to us started to ramp up their board games, um, and yeah. so they uh, yeah so they started stocking kind of the modern recent board games. So uh, what what is curious to me is that this game made it on their shelf. Uh, you know, years later, not too many people have heard of the game, and it's been you know at a discount rate for three years. Like, why did they why did they get this on their shelves? So I don't know, but I bought it. We're gonna we're gonna dive into I think tomorrow night or two nights from now. I got a couple friends coming over. We're gonna try it, see if it really lives up to the hype, and we'll let you know. Very cool, very cool. Uh, Nate, Nathan, I said Nate. Sorry if I called you Nate. <laughs> no, I, I, I go by Nate a lot as well, so that's fine. <laughs> okay, good. I, I was going to say it was a little presumptous of you there. I know, right? Justin. Very familiar. I'm actually, I, think, I think my Twitter handle is Nate Wall. So that's All right, ah, Tari, that's probably why. Um, so, uh, Nathan, how was your Geek Week? It was it was great. Um, on Let's see here. Yesterday, I got to play a board game with my wife. We played the cooperative game called Lord of the Rings. Oh. Um designed by Reiner Knizia. It came out in, like, 2001. It's an older game, but um, it's a favorite. My wife likes cooperative games, and so that's one of the ones that hits our table often. Who's uh, the we lost. <laughs> uh, the publisher is Fantasy Flight. Oh, is this the uh, uh, Journeys into Middle-Earth, like the one that uses the, um, like, the interactive... Nope. Kind of no different oh, one. No. This is a different one. No, this is a different one. This is like I said, this is an older, older one. It's actually one of the first cooperative games that kind of hit the market. Um, so basically, um, oh, I see it. My wife and I play on the same team trying to beat the game. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so it was fun. We lost, but um, in fact, <laughs> we have not beaten it very often. It's very difficult to beat with two players, or else we're just really bad. I don't know, but um, <laughs> but uh. It, it, but it's fun. It's a it's a fun game. So I got to play that on Sunday, um, and then uh, I did a lot of uh, board game design as well this week. So, oh, are you working on one specifically, or just kind of rattling around a couple different ideas? Uh, yes. So um, I I worked specifically on one this week that basically um, I had worked on I don't know maybe a year ago or maybe longer than that and. Um, kind of set it aside and I went back to it this week. I had a flash of inspiration and feverishly worked on it a bunch this week and I got it. Um, yeah, it worked on a lot and I'm going to get to play test it, uh, on Thursday this week with, uh, some other designers and we'll see how it goes. Oh, that sounds, that sounds great. Good. Yes. Good I'm excited. I, 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 yeah, I, I felt like I was able to accomplish a lot this week working on that design. Nice. Yeah. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Uh, Dan, how was your geek week? Pretty good. I know I haven't been on the podcast a lot, so I probably have a pretty deep well of geeky stuff that I've yet to report on. Um, one geeky thing I got today in the mail was uh, re- rewinding the clock a little bit. There was a, a package of first order TIE Fighters, three TIE Fighters in a pack for X-Wing Miniatures game. One TIE Fighter was the one that Kylo Ren flew that he tried to like like uh, run into Ray with like pedestrian style. He was trying to splatter on his windshield. I remember that one. And there were two bombers that came with it, but sadly they misprinted one of the components 
uh, which is the little cardboard thing you put down on the plastic base. And it's really important for the game because it tells you your initiative and it has uh, fire arcs that are really oh, yeah, super right. important, right? And so they misprinted that. And so then they went online and they put out a like a PDF, a printed out PDF that was wrong. <laughs> I don't know if you guys remember that at all. But anyway, you know, commerce is here to save us. And I went on Etsy and there's this cool, you know, Etsy uh, guy. Uh, it's called Exclamation Studios. I'm going to plug his stuff because I think it's great. We're not getting a nickel from Exclamation Studios. He only kind of really has three kind of main products on his um on his page and one of those products is so what he does is he makes these custom cardboard chits so instead of just having a cardboard chit that says Han Solo or a target lock with a number on it or uh, a ship number on it you can actually put the photos of the characters they print photos right Uh, it's their standard standard cardboard chits but they just kind of take it to the next level and they're a little pricey but they're kind of fun if you're into it, but they're absolutely, they did a great job of putting out the proper uh, game component for, <laughs> for FFG uh, <laughs> Atomic Mass Games. So I was happy to send some money their way and uh, and get some new chits in. So I'm kind of spending more and more time on, on Etsy and a few of these other you know, artisanal websites looking for different kind of components. Um, largely, that's because I, I, I got in a, a, a scrimmage game with our buddy Adam, and he's got a lot of really bespoke uh, components to the to uh, his X-Wing collection. It got me. Oh, got, that's got, really cool. It got my FOMO going just, just a teeny tiny bit. <laughs> um, the second thing is uh, we ran two sessions of Klingon Empire. One was a long session zero with a short session 0.5 where we you know if you make a character it's kind of fun to kind of play the character and we got in one you know got in some skill checks and a combat and that was great and then we finished that on another night a few weeks later and this was just on friday we finished it and then i added some more stuff to it because i wanted it to be a launching point for a larger campaign so we basically played the same thing that you and i played justin it's just i had rewritten it and gave it a little more flair and uh, a large space battle at the end. And the space battle turned out really great. I love uh, the ship combat in the Modifia Star Trek system. It really feels right. Um, and I'd never run it before. I ran it with my group, and I'd never run it before. And they knew I'd never run it before. But it, it felt good. The ship's trying to help you. The engineer's trying to fix things. We had the engine. The, when the ship tries to add, uh, you know, successes to your skill check, we always had the engineer roll that one die to see if the ship did it or not. And that was nice. pretty cool. And uh, the captain, she was doing captainy things. It all turned out r- rather great. Very lethal game. You take a bad hit in that game. You take two bad hits in one combat, and you're writing a new character. Uh, same with ships. I mean, if you could get a bad combination and you're all sucking vacuum. Mm. So super lethal and that's kind of fun. It really gets the stress level up. Um, unlike some other sci-fi games that are criticized from time to time about being too, too walk in the parky. Which um, ones? I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. Probably aliens, right? Aliens is a walk in the park game. <laughs> right. So anywho, long story short, a uh, great time. Uh, the, we took a pause from uh, Star Wars to play this 
And I'm like, hey, we, I just did this for funsies. Should we go back? And they're like, no, no, no. This Let's do this for a little while longer. So um, we're going to be running some more uh, Klingon Empire around these parts. So I'll report out if anything else exciting happens. Nice. Very good. Sounds like, uh, sounds. you know, it's always nice when you kind of invest in an RPG and then you're able to play it with your gaming group. Right? Yeah, I have a rule, which is you got to get a number of sessions equal to the number of supplements you've purchased. So <laughs> I'm up fair. to one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight supplements, and I've played it three times now. So I got to get five more out of this before I get my money's worth. It sounds like you might be able to do it. Yeah, I think we'll be we'll, we'll be fine. It's good. Well, my geek week was um, it was pretty good. Uh, I, of course, am continuing to paint this terrain. If you have listened to the Warcry podcast, you'll know that I have just been struggling with this uh, Red Harvest uh, Warcry terrain just to get it done. Um, It ended up being like a thousand times more tedious than I thought it was going to be. Um, But uh, that aside, one thing that we did was cool this week is uh, Jason and I ended up recording a whole bunch of board game review um, Mm -hmm. segments. So um, we've got quite a few more games in the hopper. I think uh, what we've got is uh, Selfish Zombie Edition. We've got uh, Gunfights and Gambling. And we've got the Call of Cthulhu RPG all in the hopper right now. Yep. So um, I, we're really excited to get those board things out. And Jason, I know I owe you some things for that, but um, soon. I will get them to you soon. Um, (laughs) And uh, the other thing that I wanted to say is that uh, my kids have um, finally, like, uh, persuaded me to come down and play Minecraft Dungeons with them. Uh, We played it originally, like, maybe a year ago, year and a half ago when it first came out. Is that the story one? Yeah, and it's like like Diablo. It's like a... Well, no, there's Minecraft Story Mode. Oh, right, right, right. Which is like the Telltale games, right? Like, um, and that it's not it's not that one. This is like Diablo style, where it's like a dungeon crawler. It's a top down uh, type thing. It's um, it's very Diablo light, like very Diablo light. There's no classes. Um, The way that you, I mean, you level up, and leveling up just allows you to get gear that is higher in your level. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't even increase any stats. Maybe health a little bit. Uh, no, actually, it doesn't. Leveling up doesn't increase your health. What happens is you're able to, like, like if I am a level 20, and now I'm able to get, like, between level 16 and 25 gear, for example. And, you know, that piece of armor will increase my health. That's a higher armor class, you know. So if I'm 30, then I can get, like, you know, around level 30 stuff. Um, and that's really all it is. Like, if you want to be, like more magic stuff will you just start wielding more magic stuff if you want to be more of a tank then you'll put on heavier armor type things so um the different classes of armor are not too widely dispersed i mean i think there's like four set five sets of armor maybe you know um but it's the rng like the upgrades and enhancements that you can get from um you know having it roll at a higher level that uh, make it interesting, and it's—I mean—it's fun. Like my my uh, youngest nine-year-old, she loves playing it, and um, my fifteen-year-old has said, "Ah, just like having fun with it." So I got on there and was playing around with them, and we've had we've had good times with it. So um, if you've got kids, like this is a great way to like play with them because you know you're just fighting Minecraft skeletons and zombies and illagers and all that stuff. So and you don't have to go make a hatchet. 
You don't. You don't. Nice. Yes, exactly. The hatchets will drop freely, my friend. Oh, baby. Yeah. I watched my kids play that one as I've walked through the room. Yeah. So it's pretty fun, you know, and it doesn't take a lot of brain power. So, like, if it's just like I'm going to hang out and mess around with my kids, it's fun, you know. Nice. It's pretty good. So, well, it sounds like we all had some pretty good geek weeks, and, um, you know, let's uh, keep on geeking out, I guess. Uh, I think we've got some news. Sorry, there's no news bumper tonight. I I basically, (laughs) I was at a three-day wedding, and you think that's funny, but it was a wedding that had events spread out over three days, and I just walked to the front door. Uh, It was at Long Island, so do the math. Uh, We had a, and and I, I live in Northern Virginia, so... I'm barely holding it together right now, but uh, <laughs> no worries. So. We didn't have one last time, and so we just kind of left it blank. Yeah, it's all just a big fizzled out thud. <laughs> it's all good, uh, but we do have some okay. news items. Yeah, I added a couple items I in like there. It. So big one, right? Elden Ring this Friday, the 25th of February. I've been waiting a while for this. It's going to be exciting. It's the spiritual successor to the Dark Souls games. Uh, you know, this is supposed to play. Much like all of the games from this uh, from this company, uh, so we're talking like uh, Demon Souls, we're talking um, uh, the Dark Souls games, uh, Bloodborne, all of those games. Uh, Secro, I don't know how to say it. Seikro, uh the the samurai one. Oh right, um, right. Yep, yep. So, but it it uh, one interesting thing about this game is it adds two new things that are that are different. Um, one, it has mounts, mounted combat. So Whoa. actually three new things. It has mounted combat. So you actually have a mount. You'll be running around the world, which brings it to the second thing, is it is an open world versus kind of a linear oh, area of progression. Wow. Now, one interesting thing about Dark Souls is that people would probably scream at the fact that I said linear. Uh, <laughs> but the reality the, re- the reality is is that you really do progress through the game into through linear zones. Th- through a linear map of zones. The zones themselves are not linear. Right. But uh, you do have to kind of sequentially progress through the game. Whereas this game, no one quite knows, except maybe those people that got lots of beta testing, but it is a completely open world, so you should be able to explore an enormous amount of the world, you know, right at the beginning once you get your horse and get get running. So that's going to be a little different than how a lot of the kind of these games have been. The other thing is that this has a jump mechanic, which has not been in any of the Dark Souls or the Bloodborne game besides dodge or roll, you yeah. can literally jump. So this that will be an interesting uh, uh, add to this system. But I'm super excited. I've uh, played all of the games, I'm uh, except for the Samurai one. I never got into that one yet. So secu- it's Sekiro, right? Yeah. Sekiro, yep. yep. Um, isn't that kind of an open world one? Wasn't that open world? I well, don't know. I, didn't play it, I never so played it because sure. it was on I don't think it was. My, uh, it's on Xbox uh, oh, and PC oh, okay. and PlayStation, yeah. But my understanding is that this is the first massive open world. Now, oh. it's not an r- online role-playing game, but it does have the same uh, co-op and PvP that all of the other games had, where nice. you get invaded and you can summon allies to fight with you. So nice. it should be fun times starting 25th February. And you have already pre-ordered that, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, and it's funny because I have not bought a game in probably oh two years yeah because of the games pass but this is not on games pass and so i actually bought it right on first time in a while yeah but anyways looking forward to that i'll let you hit this i'll hit let you hit the next one uh justin because i know it's important to you so 
one of the great things that happened this last week. <laughs> my Facebook blew up with this, by the way. <laughs> one of the great things that happened this week was that our God Emperor himself, <laughs> Henry Cavill, can't we just say emotional patron? <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, I'm going to refer to him as folder Henry William Dagliash Cavill. Um, he visited Warhammer World this week, uh, which is the headquarters of Warhammer. And uh, for us in the Warhammer community, it was like seeing the pilgrim of all pilgrims reach the Holy Land. So, um, Nathan, I don't know if you understand truly the bro crush that Justin has on Henry Cavill. It's it's a uh, yeah, I'm. A, I'm. A, I'm. Listen, I'm like I'm fan number one. I don't care who who's out there. <laughs> My wife says she's fan number one, but I don't think so. Um, but there's uh, there's some great videos of him just like totally geeking out at like at this place, right, Warhammer World, and it's so awesome to see him like a kid in a candy shop, and like I would be the same way. That's I think that's what's so amazing about this is that like he's just like oh my gosh, look at all this stuff, and I would be like that too, you know. And it's uh, it makes you feel um, that he's just one of the bros. So, uh, well, and he posted I think about I said it, this which loud. was great. Yeah. 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 He posted about it and his post was amazing. And then if you dig, dug a little deeper, he went throughout the whole place and took photos with a lot of people, you know, and yeah. was really generous with his time and was amazed. And, and yeah, it was geeking out on lore and finding the writers and the whole, the whole bit. So, um, you know, I I got the feels from it. And I don't even own any game shop, uh, games workshop stuff yet. Sorry. Yeah. Look, over. I no, it's fine. I have a bucket list of all bucket list of this podcast. I I would be able to shut down this podcast happy if one day Henry Cavill came on our podcast. So I'm putting that out there in the ether, Henry Cavill. If you're listening, um, I'm just find me on find us on Twitter at Tabletop and Beyond. <laughs> Or Facebook, <laughs> just reach out and if, we'll schedule if we you. If we tag them in enough metadata, will it come up? Uh, well, <laughs> if if it happened, one of either Dan, you or I would have to host because Justin would be short of yeah, breath. Yeah, he'd be. I would not. not he'd be a little to, fangirly. I be would a lot not of laughing into to. the palm of his hand. You'd be doing. You'd be doing like the. Hey, remember that time? <laughs> the Chris yeah. Farley interview. That time? <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> that would be hey, amazing. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Do you remember that time you were on Terminator? That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I would be doing. You guys would have to host. Oh, it'd be bad. So, but yeah, uh, the other bit of Henry Cavill news, I don't know if you guys heard about this, but he is playing Duncan McLeod in the new reboot of Highlander. Yep, I heard. So excited for that one. <laughs> so it is exciting, but I mean, at some point, at some point, is it going to be like Last Action Hero, where it's like, you know, there's like a million movies and it's always the same kind of guy or this, the same face that we see? I mean, maybe, but like, what's but the problem? But you're okay with that. What's the you're, problem? You're right. <laughs> That's the thing. I mean, you okay love all the Arnold movies, don't you? Of course. Of course. Of course. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Of course. But Arnold always plays the same person. That's true. Except for Terminator. He did play it. I mean, Henry, Henry Cavill's got a little bit of range, right? He does. I think he does. He's he's much better. He he was in that uh, in that show Enola that was like he was playing um, um, 
Sherlock Holmes. Enola was his sister. Yes. Right? Yeah, he and was like a side character. He in was that. a total side character in that. Um, he was also yeah. in The Man from Uncle, which was a very different. Um, I guess he was very similar to the August. Um, what was his name? August character in um, in uh, Mission Impossible. August Walker. He was kind of the bad, bad guy in the yeah. last uh, Mission Impossible. But yeah. uh, so I mean, that was a great role. Yeah, yeah. So he he does it around. He he. he All right. Well, around. anyways. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we could talk. Maybe we need a whole show on Henry Cavill, guys. Maybe you need a whole show. Maybe I do. Maybe I'll just record it myself and <laughs> talk to myself about Henry Cavill. <laughs> it, it, it'll be that'll be funny. I'll get this ping. I'll get this ping on Discord. Hey, hey, uh, uh, Jason, can you mix the latest episode? And I'll be all what episode? <laughs> get on there. Who and recorded? You talking about Henry Cavill for like two hours. <laughs> And it'll be two hours, too, because you know you're not supposed to talk that long. <laughs> exactly. I'll break all the rules. <laughs> yeah. All right. So last bit of news. Uh, yesterday, so today's the 21st, so I think actually last night, uh, Capcom announced Street Fighter Six. So those of you who are fighting game fans, this uh, should be exciting, right? A new installment in the, in the Street Fighter series. And I'm going to tell you one thing. Ryu is getting buffer and buffer every every game. I swear the dude lays like 600 pounds now. He's got to. If you look at his <laughs> models, just, you know, all all muscle. But he anyways, looks ripped. Totally ripped. I mean, unnaturally ripped at this point. Yeah. But, uh, anyways. Dude, this is what happens when you've been doing roids for year after year. <laughs> yeah, for 30-some years. It's a cautionary yeah, tale. <laughs> You know what's funny is uh, there are so many versions of Street Fighter. I, you know, there's going to be those those super nerds out there, but like I guarantee you right now, I could not, and I don't think anyone here of us today could name all of the different versions of Street no. Fighter that there are. No, but it's I've played crazy. version one in the arcade, version Uno, the mother version. Yeah. And it was crap. That, it was uh, crap compared to two. Yep, totally. <laughs> <is>. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, totally not worth I was it. like, wow, where's where's two? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, where's so my bad. quarter? So bad. But that's okay. It's come a long way. I played a ton of Street Fighter on the Super Nintendo. Street Fighter Two Turbo. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah, played that. That was a, a big one. That was a big one when it hit uh, SNES. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, we played that and would listen to Metallica. Totally. It was yeah. a good. It was a good afternoon. I still have the Guile theme song in my head every day. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Well, Jason, thank you much uh, for the news that you uh, provided us, and um, let's get to our main topic. So, Nathan, um, we we brought you on the show because uh, we really wanted to kind of dig into your brain a little bit. First of all, are you still there? Yes. <laughs> yeah, right. good. No, okay, yeah. good. good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited. Yeah, so we wanted to dig into your brain a little bit because, um, uh, you know, having having published a game – um, that's uh, definitely an accomplishment that none of us here on the podcast can can uh, you know claim to. We've uh, started different game designs. In fact, Jason's been designing a little um, little game himself, uh, but we haven't actually gotten to the point of like getting a physical copy in our hands as you have. So we wanted to dig in a little bit and and uh, you know get a little bit of back about your background and and what the process was like. So why don't um. Why don't we start with you a little bit? So, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Like, like you know, how did you get into game design? Like, what kind of games do you like playing? Like, how how well how? Let's start with this. How long have you been gaming, my friend? Um. Well, that's that's an interesting question. So, I've been gaming 
basically, I want to say my whole life, probably not, but um, uh, I'm 43 years old. My When I was growing up, my dad was really into board games, and of course this is the 80s when there really weren't board games, uh, the type of modern games that we have today. But um, so, but he, I had several older cousins that he would uh, consistently spend time playing games with, and uh, I remember even as a child, I would play like the kids' games with my with my dad. But I wanted to, I just couldn't wait till I got old enough to play what I looked at as the adult games um, with my dad and my older cousins. Uh, one was Diplomacy, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with Diplomacy. Oh yeah. Um, that's a friendship ender. That's a good one. That's yeah, a good one. <laughs> but uh, that was a game my dad and cousins would play consistently um, over the holidays. Uh, my cousins, most of them were in, were in the education field, so they had time off during Christmas and things like that. Um, and so I looked forward to playing that. Um, but otherwise, it was like Monopoly, um, yeah. uh, Risk. Uh, there was a game called Careers we would play a lot. Older stuff like that. And... I thought it was great. I just uh, I just loved playing board games, card games. We played a lot of card games. I'm from Michigan, so we played euchre a lot, um, and uh, poker, things like that. So, so it's interesting because um, you know we're around the same age, and I had a very similar experience. Um, you know, growing up playing games, which was a lot of Parker Brothers, right? Yep, like yep. I mean, Monopoly, sorry, like all that kind of stuff. Um, I remember being in. Um, seventh grade and discovering risk and being like, what is this? Right? Like, cause it was like such a step up from the roll, the dice, move your figure around the board and oh, yeah. the instructions. Yeah. Type of thing, you know? Yeah. So, for sure. Risk, I think was definitely my favorite game when I was in yeah, seventh grade. Yeah. yeah it, it was big. It was amazing. And then, you know, as I got a little bit older, like, uh, some of these other like kind of Euro games like Catan and Ticket to Ride and things like that started popping up. Um, a little bit more. I think when I was in college, you know, I was starting to see them a lot more. Um, and so, um, what? When would you say that you, your kind of your game library? I mean, diplomacy was a pretty complicated game, um, but like, um, when would yeah. you say that you kind of graduated into like maybe games 2.0? Yeah. So I'm trying to think. Um, we played diplomacy. We played a few other Avalon Hill games. Those were the kind of like oh, yeah, gamer yeah, yeah. games. We played a couple. Um, uh, they were called war games back then. I'm not sure how they compare to war games nowadays. But just you know, they were they were games that simulated historical conflicts. Yeah, um, yeah. There was a game called Skirmish about the American Revolution. But when I got out of college, I didn't I didn't really play a lot of games during college, but other than just when I was home on holidays. But when I got out of college. Um, my family had discovered Puerto Rico and Acquire. Oh, that's a great game, Puerto Rico. Those, I got that on my shelf right now. Yeah, so those were kind of the first two games, and then, um, then we discovered Catan after that, uh, and I played that a bunch. But yeah, those are the games that kind of introduced me to modern board games. Um, yeah, we we bought between myself or my dad or others cousins people in our family we bought several um we started just getting modern board games my one cousin has actually two of my cousins have very large collections now but that started around that time around the uh, 2000s early 2000s yeah definitely that's great um and so what what kinds of games do you like playing right now um i 
I guess I, I do like heavy, what are called heavy Euro games. Um, the uh, the um, strategy games that um, focus more on the um, I don't know how to, I don't know the best way to describe a Euro game. It's probably a bad term to use if you're not familiar with it. But um, <laughs> I also consider myself a, a variety gamer because I, I like a lot of different games. I like trivia games, and most most people don't that consider themselves modern board game yeah. players. But I do like trivia games. But I like um, family games. Uh, let me think. Agricola is one of my favorite games. So yeah. I do I do prefer playing games in that style, like Agricola. Um, there's a game called Lorenzo Il Magnifico that's kind of along that line. So those are some of my favorite games and favorite styles of games. Yeah, I remember being at um, Gen Con, and uh, one of our friends, we went into the Wayfair games room, right? Uh, and so they've got all sorts of those types of games. Um, like, uh, they had Puerto Rico. We ended up playing, uh, was it um, something Rome? Uh, Glory to Rome? Yeah, I think that was it. Yeah, yeah, and um, it was great because it was like the Roman Empire and you had to kind of like move around and take territories and stuff like that. But it was very much, you know, kind of the Euro game. Um, another one of our friends has the um, kind of like the Raiders of the North Sea series. and the yes. Cal- you know, Yeah, those like, are those great. Are, I, like, I like those a lot. Yep. Yeah, they're fantastic. Like worker, kind of worker placement games, but a lot right. of strategy in it. Yeah, and um, and uh, one of our other friends has the Dune game that's very similar similar to that that came out recently. Um, the name of it escapes me right now, it's but a Dune game very... of diplomacy. The Dune yeah. Imperium or the or the actual Dune. Dune, a game of conquest Dune... and diplomacy. Okay, yeah. Yeah. that was called. Yeah, yeah. So that was so a lot. That of just fun. has a, a like a big uh, the planet. On the board. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep, oh yeah. Yeah, I played that. That's, that's a good one. one. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, very good. So, I mean, it, it seems like uh, you you really kind of like the um, you know these sort of uh, placement strategy games. I mean, some people call them Euro games because a lot of them seem to come from Europe, right? Um, right. I, yeah. It's not a great <laughs> term because you, you kind of have to describe it, and that doesn't really fit every game. So, it, I, but I don't know the best term to describe this type of game. So. <laughs> well, I always, I thought, if, I always thought Euro yeah. games were games that focused around engine currency builders. Yeah, that's another um, marker. Um, my it's friend like Peter Euros C. Hayward like likes to use Euro, not Europe. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I didn't think. I didn't. Oh. Well, I think the original term comes from. The fact that they were originally came were published in a lot Germany. of them out of there, yeah, yeah. right. Like but, a lot of them were like German German games, right? right that right. like um, were really kind of focused from there, and so they come over here. So yeah, uh, but I think I think, I think the concept is that they're heavy resource management games. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. Definitely, yeah. definitely. definitely. I tell you, it's interesting. You said you 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 did play uh you know historic ward games back in the day and you know you t- talk about games that struggle with balance is those early historic war games I-, I remember i went over to a friend's house once he was like we're gonna play this uh reenactment of uh when prussia and i don't even know what the you know was uh being invaded and i was like all right sweet who do i get to play he's like you get to play this one over here i was like the whole board, I only had three squares. I'm like, I only have three squares. They're like, well, that's how it was in the real life. 
Poor Prussia. Okay. And so for two hours we played, and all I did was just fortify, refortify, 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 <laughs> as he just like. <laughs> you know, controlled the entire board. He's like, yeah, that's pretty much what happened in real life. It was like, all right, well, that was fun. You know, when I want a history lesson next, I'll just, uh, you know, come so back the, over. The, the joy right. of the Avalon Hill games was was the holodeck. You wanted to simulate what happened. Yes. Yeah, that's a lot of them were at that time, yes. Yeah, yeah. The problem is I, I'm not a history buff, so it was, I learned a lot. I learned about, about what happened, and maybe that was, maybe that's the takeaway. But anyways, fun fun times. Good stuff. We've got a lot of. Uh, um, I've got a friend in the area that um, has designed a lot of those boards, uh, board games. Um, he's published several. A lot of them on the Civil War. Okay. Um, also on the. Uh, um, boy, I'm, I'm blanking right now, probably because it's uh, almost ten o'clock at night here, and I've had a full day of work. But uh, what's the, the Revolutionary War? He's done a couple of them on the Revolutionary War, which was good too. Um, I think that um, when you say historic war game and you say war game today uh they do mean something different though right I yeah i agree i think a lot of people when they see, when they hear war game today they're thinking like tabletop miniature uh war game exactly uh, which which can be you know which can be fantasy based or it can be you know uh like uh modern or military military based uh games in that regards Yep. So w- let me ask you, what is your what is your by far favorite game that pops to mind when I ask the question? My f- number one favorite game of all time is a game called Lord of the Rings: The Confrontation. And oh. I know it's going to be confusing because I actually already earlier in the podcast spoke about a Lord of the Rings game, and this is a different <laughs> Lord of the Rings game, actually by the same designer. Um, but there's a two-player game called Lord of the Rings: The Confrontation. And um, have you ever played uh, the game Stratego? I was just oh, thinking yes. of that. Yeah. Yes, it's it's <laughs> yeah. it's basically as similar to Stratego. So one side plays the Fellowship of the Ring, the other side plays Sauron and the forces arrayed against them. Yep. And your pieces are hidden from the other uh, from your opponent, and you each have nine pieces, and you need to move them across the terrain. The Fellowship needs to get Frodo to Mordor to destroy the ring to win the game, and Sauron needs to either destroy kill all the Fellowship characters or get to the Shire with four of his characters to show that he's conquered the world, basically. Um, and it's and you have cards that you play to influence combat. Um, I have the deluxe version, so you could play with... There's not just nine characters for each side. There's 18 character options for each side. They're all double-sided. Um, and there are extra uh, cards that you could play with to... Um, to do like special things and it's, it's a great game it's it's bluffing and it's it, you're trying to outwit your opponent and i feel like it's just so fun to play and try to get in the mind of your opponent um it's very fun great game awesome yeah i'm looking at this on board game geek and it totally looks like stratego lord of the rings edition right yes. like right. with more with more I it's mean, with more though yeah. Are, yeah yeah there's there's very clever because every time you every time you attack another an opponent another player the other player you have to play a card that will add to your strength. So I might be attacking with a two against a four, but it doesn't just mean I lost right away because my card could be you know a six that I'm adding to it oh. or whatever, or I could play a card that says retreat and whatever. And so it's 
it's really it's really fun. It's really clever. You're trying to guess which card your opponent's going to play and guess which character they have. All the characters have a special ability as well. Yeah, it's really fun. So, so Nathan, awesome. question, question for you: Has um, has that game because it's it seems to be you know one of your favorites? Has it had an influence when you design board games? Do you kind of go back to that, or the things that you pull from it, or what? Yeah, yes. Um, it does. It did not have really any um, influence on Free Radicals, the game that I just got published. But okay. I, but I, I, I like two-player um, bluffing games where you're trying to really outwit your opponent. I like that style of games. Most of my top twenty-five, top fifty board games are are that similar style. Bluffing games. Yeah. Yes, and um, I've tried to design a few. I have not so far been successful in my mind if they they have ways to go but i've been trying to design board games similar to that have you ever played coup yes i have in fact uh actually my second or third favorite game is a game called masquerade which oh which uh is i to me that's coup but better Okay. Okay. This, and, I'm enticed because I really enjoy Coup in a like social setting. Yes, uh, Coup was one of my son's favorite games. I introduced him to Masquerade. My son's 19. I introduced him to Masquerade, and now Masquerade is he he loves it way more. Um, now Masquerade takes more players. Coup Coup is works great with a smaller player count. With Masquerade, you need at least seven players, so it's hard oh, wow. to get to the table. Okay. Yeah. But. Um, I feel like it does. It has a lot more strategy than Coup, and a lot more opportunity to to bluff and things like that. But I do like Coup. It's a good, yeah, good bluffing game. Cool. Very cool. Yeah, this is a, this is good. So um, let's uh, let's talk about Free Radicals a little bit. Um, yes. So this is a game that you just uh, that you just uh, published. Um, why don't you walk us through the game a little bit? Like, what you know, what is the gameplay like? Yeah. Like, you know, yeah, I'll that, give that you the overview. Um, so, Free Radicals. The concept of the game is, at some point, it's it's basically cyberpunk, but not punk. Uh, so, like, happy future, cyber future. <laughs> okay. um, the concept is, at some point in the future, uh, alien artifacts have appeared in the sky around the world and these artifacts were found to contain technology that greatly pushed this univ- this the world civilizations forward in technology and now everybody just kind of coexists trying to better the world and these tech these artifacts are called free radicals because of how much they change society and so the board game takes place in a city in this world and you take control of one of the factions in this city there are 10 different factions to choose from and the unique selling point of the game is whichever faction you choose determines how you will play the game okay Mm. uh and by in other words it's very asymmetric every player Mm -hmm. is doing something different and the faction you choose determines how you will um gain resources and take actions um, everybody interacts on a main player board where they are trying to awaken these buildings and gain knowledge about the free radicals, and everybody is, is trying to do that, with which is um, so, which is a goal that everybody is trying to do to score points. 
but individually, each player has a different way they take their turns. So one player, the hoteliers, are building hotels in the different districts of the city, and they uh, can take actions based on what district they build their hotels in, and that is simulated by they have a player board with Tetris pieces that they're using to form these uh, hotels. And uh, so they're basically playing a polyomino Tetris style game to take actions while another player has uh, a hand of cards and they have to discard cards to take actions based on the uh, symbols on the cards and things like that. And then there's 10 different factions. So then there's another faction that is playing uh, a Mancala style game, similar to like the game Trajan or the game Mancala where you're kind of picking up, it's the executive. So they basically, they're shuffling around their assets, trying to get them to the right spot and and uh, avoid taxes and things like that. That sounds really interesting because I was watching a little bit of a video of the, of the play, uh, the play right, and I think the the faction I was watching, the guy was farming. Yes. Yep. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which, which sounds like like that's the only faction that farms, right? Like, yep. um, and and it's a very different game than like you said, the guy that's playing Tetris with building stuff, right? So. Um, so I have yeah. two things that come to mind when I hear you know when I hear you describe this game, and it, uh, uh, the first one is um, with that type of you know uh, diversity in the way the players interact with the game. What about player to player interaction in the game? How does that uh, happen? Right. So um, there's a couple um, areas for player to player interaction. Um, first of all. Um, when you awaken a building, which is basically um, there's uh, building spaces on the main board, so you can mm-hmm. pay, you can um, play cards from your hand and pay the cost to awaken a building. And once you do that, all players can interact with that building. So if I build the casino, then anyone can, on their turn, take an action to come to the casino, take the action in the casino. Whenever they do that, they get a bonus, and I get a bonus because I'm the one that built the casino. Ah. So it's a lot of um, interaction. Uh, uh, what's the word for it? Um, uh, I, I can't think of the word right now. Um, but basically, it, um, interaction of um, positive interaction. That's the word I'm looking for. Gotcha. There's yeah, a lot of positive yeah. interaction. The other one is um, there is a track that that simulates your knowledge of the free radicals or your knowledge of technology, and you can choose to try to gain your own, work on your own knowledge or you can try to benefit other players and give them knowledge which is simulated by moving them farther on the track and when you help other players gain knowledge then you score points and you get favor from that player which is a in-game currency but then they advance farther on the track and so they may score points at the end of the game for being farther along the track so the whole game is designed around this positive interaction to give that feel of um, this uh, you know futuristic world of everybody kind of participating, but it is a competitive game. You are trying to score the most points. Oh, that's cool. It's happy family night. Right. Happy. Right. Yeah. And I and I, I should add that one of one of my design goals was to avoid uh, direct interaction. Um, oh, I, interesting. Yeah, I, there's a place for that, and I I play games with direct interaction, but I also um, I think there's 
there's some really popular asymmetric games that have direct interaction. Um, Root and Vast are both very popular and great, mm. amazing games. And so I thought there was a opportunity in the market for a game that had a lot of asymmetry to it, but didn't have that direct interaction and had that just just a more um, focused feel of each player kind of, um, you know, working on their own and, and just that positive interaction. Yeah, that's very cool. Uh, so the the um, I think direct interaction on competitive games can be uh, a critical part, but it can also uh, not uh, finding a way to make a game competitive without direct interaction is uh, I think shows innovation. So that's really cool that you threw that in there. Hey, what? Um, how did you manage all the asymmetric play and keep like the keep the components to like a minimum or you know manageable yeah that's a that's an interesting story so um or did you keep the components yeah, or or did you? Yeah. yeah that's that's a very interesting story so to give you a little background i um i began designing this game in 2015 and um in 2018 i showed it to WizKids, who is the the publishing company that is publishing the game and um then in 2019 after some after they they took the game and they did some in-house play testing and they did some in-house um you know just looked it over and then they got back to me in 2019 and said hey we really like it let's sign a contract and so we worked that out and signed a contract in 2019 and then it, it's just now going to be released um at the end of this month at the end of the f- february 2022 so it's it, it's wow. a long process That's a process yes <laughs> um so in 2015, when I first had the idea for the game, um, I had an idea for five different factions. And I wanted a game... Another design goal of mine is I like I like playing different games. And so I thought, what well, it would be really cool if I designed a game where I could sit down and play one type of game and the person, my opponent, could sit down and play a, a different style of game that maybe they like better. Maybe they don't like this... Uh, you know, Maybe they don't like hand management, so they want to play domino-style game. And we could both sit down and play the exact same game and enjoy ourselves playing different um, mechanisms. So That's such an interesting concept. I don't think I've ever seen a game like that before. Uh, Merchant's Cove came out last year, and it's a similar. It's, it has a similar okay. feel to it. So um, if, it, if, that, if that type of concept interests you, I encourage you to look up Merchant's Cove. Um, but, but yeah, that's I, I, I hadn't played anything like that in 2015 for sure and so i thought man this sounds really cool i don't know if i could do it but that would be really fun to try so i designed a game with five factions and then in about in let me think here i'm not sure about the time frame sometime 2016 2017 i took the game to a convention and i was playing it and one of the playtesters was a publisher and they're a small publisher and they said you know this isn't really the type of game we're we're looking to publish but let me give you some publishing advice and the great great person and i said yeah i'm always interested they said three of your factions have no they said two of your factions have very expensive components and three of them do not or the other way around i don't remember at that time which um which one said the most expensive but they said some of these factions have very expensive components and some don't can you make five factions that don't have expensive components then pitch that to a publisher and then if they like the idea say hey i have these other factions that you can sell as expansions that have more expensive oh, components and just sell them as one-off expansions. And I said, oh, that's a great idea. So I went back to work that night and started designing more factions. And I thought, okay, I could do this. And so then I spent 
like just hours every day just working at by then I'd played the game so much that I had a good feel for balance a good feel for how the the different factions would integrate what actions were needed things like that so yeah. I designed five more factions so, so now I had five factions that didn't have very expensive components and then five factions that had more expensive components yeah and so I thought okay so, we'll pitch it that way sorry what were you gonna say yeah, yeah so, so sorry I I think I I think I missed it who who gave you the advice to kind of break it up again um, man, I wish I could remember their name, and I can't right now. Um, oh man. Um, but it was at a convention that you were. Yeah, it was at a convention, something? and I, yeah. I I should know this off the top of my head. And I can't think of the the publisher's name now. Um, oh man, they they published. Uh, oh man, I'll see if I can look it up. Uh. They published a few small games. Um, I, I can't. I can't think of it right now. Maybe I'll look it up no, and, and try okay. to get back it's to you on that. It's fine. But yeah, they um, they gave me that advice. I mean, that's some that's some pretty awesome advice that they gave. Oh yeah, you. it's great. You know, yeah, I, I, I mean, like what a like what a like what a way to help you break into it. Because I could totally see where you're like, hey, I don't see anything wrong with this. You know what I mean? Because you just don't know. Right. Yeah. At that time, and, I, I had no idea what you know? the cost of anything would be. Yeah, I didn't know. Right. And the great thing is, though, when I pitched the game in, at, to WizKids, this was at Origins in 2018, um, okay. uh, Zev, who is the uh, director of WizKids, he was the one I, I had the pitch meeting with, and he said, uh, th after we started talking, he said, you know what, I want to see if I could just we can just do all ten factions. Just blow it out. Just do all ten factions. Give them everything we got, and let's see if we could do that. So we started talking. We did end up having to... Uh, change one of the factions throughout the process. Um, one of the one of the factions originally used um, used dice, and okay. uh, in fact used uh, like um, uh, what's the word? Used uh, modified dice. Um, uh, I can't think of the word now. Used um, dice that were not regular dice. So like a special printed dice. Yes, dice used, or yes, exactly. Dice. No, it was a D six, but they were special printed ones. Gotcha. And oh, okay. so, gotcha. um, and so we ended up having to drop that faction. Uh, that was just going to add, basically just having that one faction was going to add like $10 to the the MSRP oh, of wow. the game. And yeah. it just didn't seem like that was going to be worth it. So um, we do have the MSRP is, uh, I think, $69, though. Most places that have offered it for pre-order have been 59 so around $60. Yeah. I was just going to say, I'm seeing it on Miniature Market right now for 59 Yeah, yeah. Most of the, yeah. the pre-order places have got it under 60 Um and it comes with a lot of uh, components. There's, I mean, there, yeah, there's components for ten different factions in there. So there's, you know, forty-two so, polyhedral pieces. There's cards and all this. Wow. So the interesting thing about that, though, is yes, there's a lot of components, but if you've got five friends around the table, um, you're only using half of those components. It sounds like, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, so, so it's not, not like playing um, a game like Arkham Horror. That you know, with six people, you have a thousand different, different components. Yep. Exactly. Or if you have two people, you still have thirty decks of cards. <laughs> right. You know what exactly. I mean? Like so. Yeah, it's manageable because, <laughs> and um, yeah. So I should point out as well, you're only dealing with your components. Um, right. One of uh, another design goal of the game that I think puts off some people, and that's that's fine, but. Um, 
one of my goals was to make it so that you could just sit down, learn your faction, and play the game without having to learn what everybody else at the table is doing as well. Um, so that does that does reduce the the ability of interaction in the game, but it increases the ability to just sit down and learn the game quickly and to not have to worry about what are all these components. All you have to worry about is just the components in front of you. You know, there's some of our our favorite games we really enjoy are not head to head bash each other over the head zero sum game games. Like for instance, you know, we've talked about a call to adventure a lot and in call to adventure, the overlap is you're kind of, taking cards kind of away from each other that you wanted, but it works perfectly good as a solo game. And there's not a lot of really heavy-duty elbowing your, your, your fellow players. I think games like this have a real place. Somewhere on the spectrum of everyone walks away pissed at each other or 100% <laughs> co-op, in the spectrum, there needs to be all the different notes, uh, you know, that can be played in between those two extremes. Exactly, yeah, Nathan. So thanks for uh, helping to promote world peace. We yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I'll put on my resume. <laughs> but yeah, that's a great. Yeah, that's a good point. It's yeah, it's 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 not for everyone, but I think it, it does have a target audience out. Now the components that are shared, I believe, are the building tiles, right? Yeah, the building um, cards. In the yep. City. yep, the they're called data cards. Yeah, the building cards. There's like 50 cards that are shared, and then the main board. Yeah. Yep. Now, Nathan, it sounds like um, the general theme of the games, uh, WizKids uh, kept it. I've talked to some developers in the past who have designed games, and they say that you know publishers will come and they'll buy the game, but they'll buy the game strictly for the mechanics, and they'll reskin the whole thing once they've bought it. But it doesn't sound like that was the case here, is was it? Um, actually, so um, I had a slightly similar theme, but I didn't like the theme, and so part of oh, okay. part of the talk with uh, with Zev and with WizKids was, hey, I don't think this is a great theme. What ideas do you have? And so we ended up meeting um, at another convention at Metatopia in New Jersey, a great convention. But we had a meeting there. I met with. Um, several pe- several members of the WizKids staff and we just kind of hashed out what is the best theme for this game so I wanted the game to be rethemed um, because I, I wanted it I think the theme it has now helps the game set, be set apart from everything else sitting on the shelf right um, and there's s- a lot of rural digging around in the dirt games right it's right. like You've gone back in time six thousand years, and now you have to plant a bean. Okay, this is you're in the, you're in the future. You know, uh, one of the questions that I have, and we're talking about theme, and I don't want to get you off that track, but when we're done talking about theming, which I think the theme is amazing, and I really like it, it gets me excited. It reminds me of Android Netrunner, Shadows of the Beanstalk, which I I, I think are fantastic, but. But the art direction is is also really, really exceptionally done, in my opinion. Yes, I was so so. I'll be honest. I so first of all, going back to the theme, yeah, I, I'm the type of designer that I I don't generally do well with strong theming. Um, I tend to focus more on the uh, mechanical aspects of the game and the other parts of the game. 
So when I approach publishers, and I've approached with other games, I haven't um, other games actually. This is I'll have another game published pretty soon as well. But when I approach publishers, I'm completely open to hey, if you feel like there's a better setting for this game that is going to just stand out, please help me. Let's work together on this. Uh, WizKids is great. They they have been phenomenal to work with. Um, so then to your question about art, I, 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 my, um, in my wildest dreams, this has surpassed my expectations for what I wanted the art direction to go. Right. Um, cool. I, I like, I want diversity in games. Um, I want, uh, females on the cover. I want, um, people, you know, people of color on the cover. I want um, those characters in the game. I want uh, you can play as a character in a wheelchair in this game. You, you have play, differently abled people. Which yes, is amazing. you could play as a as an elderly character. One of the uh, the um, art the uh, uh, artisans are are is she, you know she's an um, you know probably older than I am. Her her character looks like. Um, there are so many different diverse um, representations in the game and. Uh, to me, that that made me very excited. Yeah, there's rep- people can have a feeling of representation right. when they play the game. Exactly. Um, Would you mind spoiling for the sake of this conversation what other theme you was on the table for this Free Radicals game? Or if you don't want to say it, don't say it. But yeah, no. I'm, um, just, it, I'm just curious if that, if that's available for conversation. Yeah, so it started off as just a generic like medieval, um, you know, every game set in the whatever in the medieval times. And okay, so then okay. the ones I was dissing. Yes. Okay, no, that, okay. no, but that's, so here's the Way funny go, thing. Dan. No, that's, that's perfectly fine here. Here's the funny thing. I, my, some of my co-designers and other designers that I play test with tease me about this, but I tend to start a lot of my games in that setting because it's a setting I'm familiar with. And then after I feel like I've got the bare bones of the game down, then I try to kind of branch out. So it started as that, um, there was a lot of other settings considered, um, some wild stuff, but, um, anyway, yeah, so that's what it started as. Well, I kind of like what you have here because what that freed you from was your ability to say, yes, it should be cyber punk, but it doesn't need to be cyber punk. It could be cyber positive, right? right? Exactly. Like, you know, you could free yourself from, well, you know, if I'm doing a cyberpunk game that I need to have. A guy with a mohawk with a baseball bat. It's like it's been done a million times. This is something unique, right? Yeah. And that, I, I think that's a real, a, a real strength of what you've done here. Yeah, and I also don't want to make it sound like it was just, oh, hey, just take the same game, slaps a different art on it, and boom, nothing else has changed. There was and it, it had to feel right. Right. There was a lot of we we um, WizKids hired a narrative director um, who um, uh, Calvin Wan. Uh, um, let's see here. But he he um, helped tell the story. Um, the graphic editor, uh, Daniel Solis, did a lot of work with trying to help um, redesign some of the actions and some of the, um, the other abilities of the factions to fit with the new setting better. Um, and then some of the stuff that didn't make sense in my theme made way more sense once we changed the setting. Like, oh, oh cool. that makes way more sense. You know, why didn't <laughs> I think of that ahead of time? I don't know. So um, that knife, that knight couldn't cyberjack into that computer. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like that didn't make any sense. So, um, so that that was great. That was great. 
that must That's be really cool. exciting as from a collaborative standpoint to say, okay, there's art and there's commerce. We want to get a good game out that people will buy and play. And you got to be willing to to make adjustments, you know, to to partner with the story editor, to partner with the graphics editor, and say, how can we make this, you know, achieve higher heights collaboratively? And I think that's fantastic. Yeah. So I want to um, I want to kind of go back to like your interaction with with kids. Like you said that they've been amazing to work with, and that's really good to hear. Um, but how did you like? get your game in front of them in the first place. So this is another great story. Um, I, I, well, I told you, I told you I brought the game to some conventions in 2016, 2017. That's where I met with one publisher who just happened to sit down at a protospiel event, which is basically an event at a convention where you just play prototypes, games, unpublished games. Oh, cool. And so um, they have those. Most game conventions have a protospiel event where you can bring a game that's not published. People know they're coming to play that type of game, and uh, you'll get feedback. So anyway, I was playing there. Well, then I found out that there was a board game design club that met in Toledo that I did not know about. And so I found out about it. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. I live in Toledo. There's a board game design club that meets in Toledo. And so I went there and um, I played this game with John Gilmore, the designer of Dead of Winter and uh, Dinosaur Island. Oh, how cool is that? Yeah, he was there. Um, other other published designers were there, multiple designers. And we started playing the game. And this, uh, I don't think he'll mind me saying this, he was just so kind to me he started texting while we were playing the game he started texting publishers he knew and said hey i got a game i think you should look at i think this is really good and um and so that was kind of my end when i got to origins uh later that year i had three meetings uh set up that he helped me set up and then oh, um that's awesome my friend that's great yeah and then i don't know if you know peter c hayward the um who leads uh, Jelly Bean Games. He's a publisher, but he also is a designer as well. He's designed um, Village Pillage, uh, French Toast, uh, some uh, family games like that. Um, that Time You Killed Me is his latest design from Pandasaurus Game. But anyway, he's a designer as well. He's a friend of mine. He helped me get the meeting with Zev at WizKids. And so I actually left um, Origins in 2018 with three different publishers that wanted to sign my game. So that was that was just amazing. Wow. So what's this guy's cell phone number? <laughs> yeah. <Real quick. laughs> yeah. Um, well, that's that's awesome. It, it's always great to see the community kind of lifting up, right? Like, um, you know, I, I don't I don't have a sense of what it is to, you know, publish a game or if it's a cutthroat industry. I have a feeling that Milton Bradley's out there with his monocle being like, okay, what games can we oppress today? Um, Are you I'm talking kidding, about but... the little guy in Monopoly with a monocle, the little round dude? Yes, you know. Is that Milton Bradley? I, I don't was know, Mr. but it makes sense. Bags or something. Mr. Moneybags. Yeah, Mr. Moneybags, yeah. aka Milton Bradley. Uh, you heard it here first, people. Okay. It's not a conspiracy. <laughs> if we're if we're not beating up on Monopoly, we're beating up on Phase Ten. <laughs> no, <laughs> please, no. My wife is playing that Phase Ten constantly on her phone now. She's got it on her phone. I just wanted to share that, you guys. Yeah, because I know so, we nauseate you. I've played a lot of so games of Monopoly in Phase Ten. Oh, I feel sorry for you. Worst I feel sorry for you. Um, so, uh, you know, a lot of people nowadays are going the self-publishing route or or 
deciding to go on Kickstarter or something like that. Did that ever cross your mind to like maybe publish a game that way? Yeah. Um, when I so I did a lot of research when I um, felt like I had a game and getting ready to publish, and I started reading. And basically, those there's three options, but those are the main two options: is to either self-publish through Kickstarter or to get it signed with the publisher. Uh-huh. Um, and at, by this time, again, I I, I had designers that I could meet with in Toledo to talk to um, industry professionals to give me their advice. Also, I did a lot of research and read a lot of blogs and things like that. Um, I felt like, for me, I every, what everybody told me is if you want to self-publish, then you are not a board game designer. You are a board game publisher, a board game uh, you know, artist, a board game manufacturer. You take on so many, you put on so many other hats. Yeah. Uh, you're a business right. person. And that that wasn't the route I wanted to go. I I'm I don't see myself as that type of person who can run a business successfully and and um, run a Kickstarter successfully. But I do see myself as someone who can successfully design board games. So um, yeah, so I, I I did think about it, but in the end, I felt like that was just not the route I wanted to go. I think that that's a really uh mature way of going about it to be honest with you because i think i think there's a lot of people out there that are like oh man you know i put so much blood sweat and tears into this thing and i want to see it published and you know maybe they didn't have the same um connections that you were able to make through your your club and type of thing and so they didn't have the ins in the industry that um that they needed or whatever you know um and quite frankly, maybe their game just wasn't as compelling. And so there's, you know, that aspect to it too. And so they decided to go the Kickstarter route and the Kickstarter route. Um, uh, look, it's a lot of, it's a lot of work if you don't have an infrastructure behind you, you know, like having to try to coordinate with, you know, um, the manufacturers, the, you know, like, cause half the time, half the time you're getting like components made in China, yep. printed in like, you know, printed in China maybe, or printed elsewhere, you know, and then trying to coordinate that and then get it assembled and then ship to the right places. I mean, and that's just the... That's just the delivery of it, right? right? Let alone like a lot of the other logistics, such as like marketing and you know um, uh, other other aspects of of being that full kit and caboodle game manufacturer slash publisher slash designer slash slash slash. Right. You know? If if you have a lot of money and you're willing to lose a lot of money, then Kickstarter is probably the best way to get to consider yourself a published game designer to get to see that finished product to have. And that's emotional. Let me tell you, it's emotional when you get your finished product, whether it's the way I got mine through a publisher or even someone who's kickstarted. And if you have the money to spend and you're not, you don't want to take the time to ship it to shop it around to publishers. And, it, and that, and that's become even harder through the last couple of years with the pandemic basically there were no board game conventions and in the past prior to the pandemic board game conventions was the easiest way to set up meetings with publishers to pitch your games and so um and so yeah if you if you don't want to go through all that hassle and you have a lot of money you're willing to to, you know to run a kickstarter then it's it is appealing i see the appeal of it but it's just not so you said something interesting there that I want to kind of noodle out a little bit. You said if you have a lot of money and you're willing to lose a lot of money, what did you mean by the lose a lot of money part? Yeah, so um, 
one of my I have a co-designer that I'm working with on some other games, and he uh, has ran some Kickstarters for some card games and some small games. Uh, he runs a publishing company called Glass Shoe Games, and they actually published um, another one of my games that that did that did go through Kickstarter through them um, called Treasure Cats, and that game will be releasing to backers sometime in March. Um, oh, cool! Yeah, so that's that's a lightweight family game. Um, bluffing similar to like love letter or uh or um actually it's kind of similar to coup i guess a little bit it's a, it's a bluffing type game um but anyway he he likes to say if you can afford to you know drive a brand new car into the lake and not worry about it then you're you're set to go kickstart a game <laughs> <laughs> but uh wow yeah he he it he said it's it's everything everything ends up costing more than you think it's going to and especially oh. especially with um the situation of the global supply chain right now is just yeah. insane yeah. Yep. um i have definitely i have several um friends who are designers who had games on kickstarter that that fulfilled and then they all of a sudden found out that it's going to be you know $20,000 more to to oh, get their oh no. to ship their games here than what they were originally oh. quoted and all that and it's just yeah it's everything is in flux right now and it, it's it's tough well and not well, every game is a simon zombie side like multi-million dollar like kickstarter right where i don't i don't know i mean maybe they're like taking a bath i'm sure they're taking a bath on some of the global supply chain issues too um but you know, you look at those where they're like, our goal is to raise four hundred thousand dollars, and like four million dollars later, their Kickstarter campaign has ended. Right. You know. Um, but um, I could see the real issue where you know you you say, okay, our pledge level is one hundred and fifty dollars for this game, you know, plus all the stretch goals or whatever it is, and um, you know, a year later when you're supposed to be fulfilling, like that game's costing you two hundred dollars to get out the door. Right. Exactly. You know. Yep. So, um, that, that, I hope, man, like what, what a, what a nightmare, right? Cause then, and then you're looking at Kickstarter when it ends and you're like, oh, wow, we like killed our goal. We crushed it. It's going to be amazing. And, uh, you know, the nightmare on the back end that could be. And if, if you're a first time Kickstarter creator, then you probably don't have a large following I mean, maybe you have, but you've, right. you've had to spend money to get that following. Marketing costs a lot of money, and it's not a cost that you may intrinsically think about when you're when you're calculating. Okay, you know, I figured out I'm gonna have to pay. This is how much the art is gonna cost. This is how much it's gonna cost for manufacturing. But you have to factor in a marketing budget, or nobody's gonna find out about your game, and that's that's yep. a lot of money. And so if you forget about that, and then you have to pay that later, you just it's just money. You're just Basically, you're losing. I mean, well, you're getting I, it back. But. I think we should congratulate you, Nathan. I mean, I'm here on the WizKids site. Your your game, Free Radicals, is on the main page. It's right here next to Critical Role, No Slouch in the Gaming World, Dice Masters, Spider-Man, DC Hero Click, Star Trek, Attack Wing, D&D, and your game is just right there. And that, I mean, congratulations. I mean, you really, I'm giving you a verbal round of applause. It'd be weird if I clapped. But that's like a legit accomplishment for, you know, a lot of these other games, you know, they, they, you know, Attack Wing is based on another system. 
ported into Star Trek. You've got Heroclix, which has been on for a million years. And a lot of these games are propped up by IP. And, and your game is here standing as a as a wholly new you know, thing. And so, yep. bravo. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. I, um, I would see your game as coming out of something more like... Um, a uh, uh, FF, you know, Fantasy Flight games type of game, or maybe even Gale Force Nine. I don't think I would have picked with kids to pick up this uh, this kind of IP that you have. Yeah, they're um, I, I like the direction their company is going. The last uh, couple of years, they've really tried to get unique games, um, and and really really refocus their their um their branding on on really unique clever board games um you know i don't i don't want to speak for the company i don't work for WizKids. i just they they publish my game but i i do yeah. like they have they had a game come out in 2019 called sidereal confluence that is amazing um it is it, 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 it's similar to my game in the sense that when you hear the pitch for it, you're like what is that and then it's it's uh which it it's it's a seven-player game, space game, that ha- that is all about trying to trade with other players. So each um, each faction that game produces one or two different specific resources, but you can't use those resources to make anything that your faction wants to make. So the only oh, way you can make anything in that game is by trade. trading with other players, and it's 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 just a really yeah. clever game, really clever design. They have another game called Fantasy Realms that came out 2019. That's great. Got nominated for a Spiel des Jahres, one of the top awards in board games. Um, they have a game called uh, Flotilla that's just really weird. You 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 play on one side of the board, but then you could flip the board and play on the other side while some players are still playing on one side, and it's it's oh, crazy. Oh man. So that, yeah, I really like the direction their company's going. Yeah, that's very that's very very cool. Because um, you know my association of Wiz Kids in the past has just been a lot of D and D stuff. Yeah, um, yeah, of I course they're still a, really into D and D and Hero Clicks and, and all that. Yep. Yeah, and Hero Clicks. I was gonna say that too. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm looking at at least a dozen Hero Wiz Kids Star Trek models in my peripheral vision, let alone what's on my shelf. So. But now I get to add this to my collection. I'm excited for Free Radicals. I'm going to get, get my pre-order going. So the, it's in pre-order right now. When does it officially hit the shelves as being available? Um, I don't know the exact date. Sometime at the end of this month. Um, okay. Uh, I got my pre-order copied. And then actually, uh, yes, or no, yeah, yesterday I got my uh, playtesting copies. So uh, part of my contract was to get some free copies for some of my lead playtesters to reward them. So those all came in the mail. Oh, very those cool. Those all came in the mail yesterday. So I've started giving out, I gave out a couple of those today and I'll finish getting those out to the, my lead playtesters because they did a lot of work. This, this game was just, um, I think I played the game probably 500 times, uh, in playtesting to, to get it to the, so that, so that's a good question. So how, if you were going to do a rough estimate right now on the spot, how many hours of play time or of play test time were put behind this? Um, I would say total probably two thousand hours. Wow. Wow. Okay. Estimate. Cool. Cool. That's Very what it cool. takes to get it right. Yeah, and and yeah, I mean, uh, ten asymmetric factions balance was definitely a big, um, a oh, big. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, sure. <laughs> 
Focus. <laughs> that just that gives me nightmares, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> if you if you start seeing everybody reach for the same faction every time you play the game, it's like hmm. right. Yeah. So, I got I've got well I got a million questions for you. I know we're wrapping up. <laughs> But this is a two to five player game, and you have ten factions. Is there a, a possibility or a rules thing where you get the sixth, seventh, eighth, tenth player using those factions, or is that just not going to work with the game mechanic? It, yeah, I, there was. I, I thought about it, but it's not going to work. Um, so basically, it won't work right now. But I, I, it, it also didn't work for me to try to design it to work. Um, how, right. how it works is there are five different colors, and so each faction is a double-sided player board. So, oh, so it, for example, it. the executives and farmers are both red factions. So if I choose to be the farmers, no other player could choose to be the executives. Oh, oh that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Got it. So, cool, um, cool, cool. so that's how that works. Um, I, I saw somebody in the forums, or, at, or maybe it was on a comment on a video, but I, I, think, I think some people, when they get the game, will try to experiment with ways to play it with six players but um, six players. <laughs> I, I don't know I did not design it that way <laughs> yeah, we, we will not encourage using your own uh, scanning and printing equipment at <laughs> hey I don't care whatever you know, they want to try it <laughs> well you had the great Tom Vassell review your game I mean just the fact that he sat down and played your game enough times for a review that's a big accomplishment there and so you know, Nate, you're the real deal, and uh, we really uh, were really grateful that you had responded to us reaching out and taking the time to, to chat with us. Yeah, yeah I, I enjoy myself. Yeah, cool. I, I like talking about my games, so that's always fun, and I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Yeah, so Nathan, one final question. Do you have tabletop simulator? I do, yes. Yes. Oh, right. we need to get this going. We need to get this going. We need to get you. We need you get get you a review of the game that uh, we're working. Okay. On. Yeah. For sure. Um, yeah. You guys have my email email address. Reach out to me. I'd love to play on yeah. tabletop yeah. simulator. Yeah. We'll do it. We'll do it. It'll be fun. It'll be fun. Yeah. And, and you great. can and you can uh, you can be kind. Oh, of course. No, no. Be honest. Be honest. <laughs> they need all the help they can. No, get. I said kind. I, I said I'm kind. no I'm no expert, but I definitely would. Would love to help you and give whatever feedback I, I can. Yeah, it'd be cool. I mean, you've been around the block a little bit, so be, and it'd be just be fun to hang out and you know play for some sure. games and roll for some sure. Stuff. And let's be honest, out of the four of us, you kind of are the expert. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Awesome. Well, um, actually, I do have. I know Jason had a final comment or a question, but I've got one more one that I want to ask you. Um, map us out. What's your future look like? Like, well, you know, you said you've got one kind of coming out um, on, you know, uh, order fulfillment in March. Uh, you said you've got another one that's in the works and publishing. You're designing another one. Like, like, what does the map for like the next one, three, five years look like for Nathan? So Wall? my five year goal, which will probably end up being ten years, but we'll see. But I do, I do want to do this full time. That is my goal. Um, so right now I have. Um, Free radicals, and then I have treasure cats, which, like I said, fulfills uh, finishes fulfillment in March. So I have two published games. I have four other games right now that I am pitching to publishers actively that are all finished, all done, ready to go. And then I have about six or seven other games that I'm working on at any given time. Um, Man. So uh, and 
Your creativity level is like 100 right now, my man. <laughs> it's, it's fun. It's, I, I will say it's been a long time to get to this point. Uh, one advice I would give to anyone is one, the best way to get good at designing board games is to design a lot of board games. Um, Free, Free, Radicals yeah. was maybe, the ball. Free Radicals was maybe the 15th, 16th board game that I designed. Um, and the other ones were bad, <laughs> most of them. But I had yeah. to design bad games to get to the point where I could just start designing good games. So, um, did you ever try to pitch your bad ones, or were you just like, "Oh, I know these are terrible. I'm not. Uh, these aren't going to see. These, you know, these are the ugly babies that won't see the day of light, or you know, light of I, day." Sorry. I, I, no, I did. I didn't. But that was more because I didn't know yet how to do that. Um, it was. Oh, okay. It was really a great timing that I I had free radicals ready to go when I met with some of the you know, experts in the industry with John Gilmore, with Peter C. Hayward, those people that were able to help me network and, and reach out to other people. Um, but, but my other games. Now, one thing about having a bunch of old designs is I keep them all in a folder on my computer and I can go back to them. That's what I was mentioned earlier in this podcast. Actually, one of the, the game I really put a lot of time into this week was a game that I designed, you know, a couple years ago that I kind of just didn't feel like was going anywhere and set it aside and then I went back to it this week and had a f- kind of flash of inspiration like oh I can do this I can do this and so oh that's cool that's cool yeah cuz I mean if you've got an idea for something I mean there's something there's something there right like there's a there's a nugget in there somewhere yeah. that might be able to be teased out in some way or another so yeah and my other game yeah, uh, I, cool. I don't want to talk too much my other game uh, treasure cats like I said that that finishes fulfillment that was a game that was a reworking of a design, a game I designed in 2007. So, I mean, that was a long, long oh, wow. time oh, wow. between okay. work, but yeah. So, it takes time, but I, I, I well, see myself as trying to do this full time down the road. Yeah, yeah, man, the best of luck to you, because uh, you know, I, it's not an easy business to get into. Um, I don't think it's an industry that's going to make you a gazillionaire. You know, but if it's your passion and it can sustain your lifestyle, then like more power to you. I think that's amazing. Yeah, I completely agree. Great job. We can't wait to play this game. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for coming on the show, man. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed the talk. Uh, thank you to everybody who listened to our show tonight. Uh, again, thank you to Nathan Wall who came. His game is Free Radicals. Check it out on whizkids.com. Uh, you can also find it in several other retailers. I saw it on miniaturemarket.com. Check it out there. Uh, we would love you for you to pick it up and try it out. It seems like it's going to be an amazing game, and uh, we can't try to do it. So uh, if you like this episode, go ahead, give us a share, give us a like, give us a comment. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you know, all the all the places. We're also on our Discord channel, so if you would like an invite to that, Visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash tabletop and beyond, and there is a link to our Discord channel there. And you can also find us, most importantly, at tabletopandbeyond.com, where we got a lot of different content for all of the people who are interested in our board game reviews, uh, episode, uh, interesting TV show episode write-ups, etc. cetera. Uh, visit us there, and uh, we'll see you at the gaming table. Thanks, everybody. Have a great night. See ya. Good night.